You're listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus. This is the first podcast of the year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, 2022. Well, it has to be different than 2021, hopefully better. And Was 2021 better than 2020? Wow. Quick survey. Shows of hands. 2021 was better. Well, we but for all the listeners, really. Oh, I know. But I'm looking at the podcast booth there, and I'm getting a 50-50 split. And I think that's probably the truth across the nation. For some people, 2020 was worse, and for some people, 2021 was worse. But I think it's worse when 2021 is worse. Because 2020, we were all in this massive new crisis. 2021, people are hopeful and believed they could get out of it. And then when they didn't, it was even more difficult. And by the way, the Proverbs say that hope deferred makes a heart sick. So I think everybody who thought 2021 was going to be awesome, they had um, a more sick heart because their hope was deferred even in another year. So here we are, 2022. May this be the greatest year of our lives. Yeah, but probably not. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's just get through it. <laughs> Okay, uh, so this is how it's going to be today. No, it's not even that. I just think the reality, like we're, I mean, it seems like people are going to talk, we're talking about shutting down back again and more people, you know, I do find it interesting. We were looking at all the stats that more people have changed jobs mm -hmm. and moved cities yeah. in the last 12 months than ever before. Yeah. I think the stat for November, December was- Six million. I thought, yeah, because you said four something, but I think it's six million. Yeah, I think it's six million who have left- Left their jobs. Yeah, or no, it left California, I thought. No, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. You were talking about the job thing. I was talking I, about Yeah, yeah, I was talking about jobs. It, I think I saw 4.5 million people have quit their jobs. And um, I think our unemployment rate is, or numbers is over 10 million or something like that. Of course, we live in California that has the highest unemployment rate in the United States. Right. Um, it, I, thought, I found it interesting that, what is it, 6 million people moved in 2021. 20. Yeah, they moved zip codes, so moved cities. Yeah, and I saw that's 500,000 people more than 2020. That's a lot of people. Which I imagine is considerably more than 2019. Yeah, I know they left LA. Yeah. And I uh, left San Francisco. And it was odd as a lot of people left San Francisco, came to LA. Yeah, a lot yeah, of people left I, LA, went to Austin. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a big like and, uh, shuffle. Yeah, there was migration. Exchange. California, New York, and Washington, I think, are the three states that lost the most people. And I think it's Texas, Florida, and maybe Arizona that gained the most people. Um, so that's kind of interesting because you have uh, you have almost a, um, a a policy identifier. The the three states that have the more um, uh, progressive or left wing approaches toward COVID and quarantine and economics and everything else are the states that are losing people, and the states that have had a, what would be considered maybe a more conservative um, approach toward um, the crises, whether it's uh, the pandemic or, or economics, they're the states that are growing. So it's kind of interesting to me that um, across America, I mean, there are far more, let's say, Democrats than Republicans, but yet it seems like you don't have Republicans moving Democrat states, you have Democrats moving to Republican states, which is kind of an interesting thing. Well, it's just... It's like what a virus does. It takes over the good thing and destroys it. So <laughs> that's what's going to happen to the rest of our country if all of the Dems move to the Republican states and then try to. But I mean, because that's a huge thing in Texas and in yeah. Florida. They're making sure that they're preempting laws so that you can't come in and change 
the culture, yeah. which I find really interesting, right? Like they're bu- they're bunkering down in a way that I would almost say is unhealthy if you were any other organization. Mm-hmm. But to be like an anti-progressive state is actually very interesting. Yeah, you know, when I was um, much younger and like Russia was seen as the biggest you know, threat in the world, yeah. the way they would say- Now it's DC. <laughs> the, the, the way that they would say that you can tell the difference between democracy and socialism is um, you don't have to keep people trapped inside of, of democracy and, um, and you don't have to try to force people to go into democracy. You have to keep people trapped inside of socialist countries mm-hmm. and you don't let people leave. Mm-hmm. And if you have a better system, you don't have to worry about people leaving. You let everybody leave. And I'm looking at it now all these decades later, I'm going uh, without even looking at things from just um, policy to policy, just from human migration People are actually voting, saying, uh, um, by their feet. I don't know if their mouths are saying what their feet say, but their feet are saying, I like the policies in these more conservative states than I like the policies in the more progressive states. And But I think it's odd because I think those very people are voting the opposite. 100%. So, so it's going to be curious to see what happens this year. I mean, we're starting 2021. I'm having, no, 2022. Wow. Yeah. With, um, it's 2021.2. Yeah, and uh, oh, it's 2022 yeah. also. Yeah, so that's a little scary. Yeah, but so we begin the month with um, one out of every hundred people being affected with COVID. So we have the highest uh, spread of COVID in the two-year uh, journey. Um, we have the highest inflation. We have the highest unemployment. We have the high, highest disemployment, where people just are choosing not to work uh, or quitting their jobs. Um, but I heard a really interesting yeah. quote. Uh, on that, I think it was Gary Vee talking with, oh, who was it? A really interesting podcaster out of Austin. Um, mm. Young tech, younger tech, I mean younger, but like mm-hmm. mid-40s tech guy who was really, really smart. I cannot remember his name from my life, but I saw, I could see his face. I listened to a bunch of podcasts in a kind of our week between Christmas and New Year. Mm. And he was talking about it. He was like, look, the people are saying we're not going to work bad jobs anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're not right. going to work for people who are who are mean. We're not going to work for people who are uh, self-destructive or de- destructive in their companies and their organizations. We're not going to work in unhealthy working conditions. And so, I wonder how long that will last, right? Because at some point, like you got to work. Well, not if we pass, let's say, a six trillion dollar. Well, the six trillion thing's off the table now, right? Well, I got mean, brought down. Right, it is, but it, it's just uh, all you need is a a little bit of of a domino of this transfer of power. So if you have enough Democrats to pass it, eventually- It will pass. It will pass. And so um, then you might have a new unemployment because um, you have the safety net of the government taking care of you. Right. And- Do you um, think we'll see a day in which this country is completely blue from the Senate to the House? No, actually- To the governors, um, to the president? I think think if Donald Trump- had been president for two terms, yeah. the nation would have gone so blue, we thought we were the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Blue's clues up in this thing. It's going to have been blue ocean. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, I think that now that uh, President Biden is president, um, the nation is quickly uh, making a 180 and going red. Yeah. And uh, which is a little bit- I don't agree. You don't think it's no, going red? I don't agree. No. Oh, so give me your perspective. No, no, it, no, no, I think... Uh, it's the right to disagree. No, no, I only disagree in that it feels like the Dems have a, a massive upper hand. 
with when it comes to polit- polit- like political power right now. Like you look at Cuomo, right? We were talking about this yesterday. Uh, I got pinged on my phone while we were eating lunch mm-hmm. with some of the guys from staff and and or, and some of the girls, and we're sitting mm-hmm. in the kitchen. And uh, what did it say? It said uh, accuser. Uh, like what's the proper verbiage? The uh, the accuser, Governor Cuomo's accuser of sexual harassment, uh, takes back her statement. And the prosecutors decided there wasn't enough evidence to prosecute. Well, no, the prosecutors decided that without that testimony, without right. her, with her taking it back, the charges were dropped. Right. I'm going to prosecute. And I, I felt political. It felt massively political because now there's a new governor who immediately goes, "Okay, we're going to make some changes. We're mm-hmm. going to." Uh, change the term limits. We're going to make sure this doesn't happen with Cuomo becoming governor forever. And it feels like they just wanted to get him out so they could change the way things are in New York City or New yeah. York State. Yeah, ironically, when all this was happening, I my immediate assessment was this is a Democratic attack on Democrats. Um, I, you know, sometimes you see Republican attacks on Democrats and Democratic attacks on Republicans, but this was clearly a Democratic attack on Democrats. It felt like they were cleaning house. I, yeah, it felt like to me, and it felt like Cuomo was uh, platforming so large that he... Um, was being postured or self-posturing to be the next presidential candidate. Yeah. I don't think that was... Um, in the, in, it wasn't in the, the game plan. It wasn't in the game plan. And so I think that he overstepped and I think that people turned against him. And the reason I say this is because these are accusations that have been there forever. It's not like just sprung up yesterday. No. It's something you have in your back pocket. If someone doesn't behave properly, then you go, okay. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to cut you at the knees. And it, that's what it felt like to me. Yeah. And so the fact that now they're dropping the charges makes me feel like, oh, it really was Democrat and Democrat because uh, Republicans would not have let it go. They're going to, they would crush them to the yeah, very yeah, yeah. end. <laughs> so there's nothing left. There's no point, yeah. <laughs> to make sure there was no Phoenix rising at all. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. I, and maybe I become very, very uh, cynical about the way politics work, but um, I think history has proved this to be true. <laughs> and, uh, it's very interesting, right? So, yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I think, I think, I think right now it's a, it's a blue, it's a blue, we're a blue country. Right, but I'm still going to say that the, the way we're trying to— See, President Biden was elected, and the country was split about half and half with, with what I would consider a, a horrible expression of a human being with Donald Trump. Yeah. He still had half the nation supporting his policies, and that's what people don't understand. They're yeah. not necessarily supporting him, but they are supporting more conservative policies, and, yeah. they, and they just won't relinquish their policies. We've had, it feels like we've had two terms of, of the other guy. Yeah, like, Trump was the other guy. We didn't. We did. They didn't want. They didn't want Clinton. A lot of people didn't want Clinton. The Dems didn't want Clinton. Well, and it was then, Obama right before. No, no, I'm saying I'm saying the last two terms. Oh, so, Hillary. So, yeah, so yeah, yeah, Trump, Clinton, yeah, yeah. race, and right. then and then we had Trump, Biden, and it just felt like it was the other guy again. It was like okay, the other guy didn't work, so we go to the yeah. other, other guy. People were not for voting for Trump. They were voting against Hillary. People yeah. were not voting for Trump. They were. I mean, they were voting against Trump for, but not for, for Biden. Right. I don't, and I, I said that wrong, but yeah. I got it right. <laughs> and, and 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 here's why I think it's going to go further to the red. Right. Is because whenever you say, I mean, immediately the language was, we, we have a mandate, we have a mandate, we have a mandate. When you're trying to pass a $6 trillion uh, budget, um, including like, um, you know, environmental issues and all these other issues that really have nothing to do with COVID and everything, um, what you're trying to act like is that you have a mandate across the nation. You don't have a mandate. You did not have a mandate to go extremely to the left. Um, you know, there, it wasn't a mandate to go extremely to the right. Uh, you had a mandate to make intelligent decisions that helped all Americans. And I don't know why, but politicians can't be uh, happy with um, 
let's just make the nation better rather than let's go, let's see how far right or how far left we can take this thing. And this is why there's going to be a problem is because uh, Biden was not elected as a, a progressive candidate. Um, that would have been Barry Sanders. If we had wanted the policies that we have right now, if, if the nation had wanted to have a more socialist society, uh, a more progressive society, what do you want to use, language you want to use, they would have elected Bernie Sanders. They did not. They picked Biden because he felt like he was the soft middle. And he's not leading in the soft middle. He's leading in an extreme left. That's why I think the nation is going to go to the right. Okay. So that's my prediction. That's okay. my prediction. We'll see. Uh, if it plays out to be true. And I think the, I, oh, I sent you an article on Bloomberg about the French president. If you're the president of France, are you really a president? Are you like the head <laughs> maitre d' at a nice restaurant? You like know some wines, you know what the specials are, you can give me the best table or not. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just think it it just sounds cool to be the French president. I'm sorry. And, it does sound cool to be the French president. Yeah. And, but he uh, talked about how they're going to make life pretty much miserable for people who don't take the vaccine. Right. They're going to make normal life impossible if you haven't taken it. Yeah, I mean, basically with more, you know, um, colloquial language, he's basically saying we're going to persecute people who are not vaccinated. But here's what's interesting. See, the moment he said that, the French parliament put a stop on forcing vaccine passports. And that's what I'm saying. The moment you start pushing too far to one side, uh, the other side people come, are going to yeah. go, wait a minute, you know. That doesn't make sense. This is not what we uh, signed up for. Yeah. It's interesting though. Does it show you that human nature goes back to like a dictatorship mindset? There's a, Like an ultimate supreme control? It's almost like a lust for power. And It is, right? It's yeah. like, let's see how much we can take until they stop us. And this is why I would say no matter where you are in the political spectrum, um, you should not concede more power to the government, whichever side you're on. Mm -hmm. uh, you want government to have as little power as possible. And, and every time you concede one more area of your life to government, you're moving toward a willful uh, dictatorship. Okay. So with right. that said, we're going into 2022. We're in 2022. <laughs> okay. Let's, it's let's a take blast. a turn and let's talk about how to create a positive year. Okay. Go for it. These are <laughs> I mean, these are the challenges we face, but those challenges aren't going to affect your daily life in the same way as whether you um, make choices that make you, your life, and your future better. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there, I think historically, it was always like a tradition of New Year's resolutions, mm -hmm. and people would make resolutions for their life, and, and now there's more of a, 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 um, a trend of picking your one word for the year. Um, but it's really the same thing. It's people trying to, um, I guess one word is better in terms of having an intention with your word. Uh, uh, resolutions are goals that maybe you won't hit. Yeah. Um, resolutions don't matter. That's yeah. fake. <laughs> resolutions are fake, I think, right? Yeah, I think I think the the problem is that the resolutions are usually about a goal rather than a habit. Okay. And um, you cannot reach a different kind of goal than you are as a person. And because if your goals are not an extension of you, it, there's a, no chance you're going to hit those goals. Mm -hmm. And so what you have to realize is that you have to change some core structures about who you are, some habits in your life, if you're going to reach goals that are different than the ones you've already achieved. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that's the difficult thing. Like, you, you know, you can say, I'm going to 
get healthy or I'm going to lose 15 pounds or I'm going to, you know, have 12% body fat or, or add this kind of muscle or, or you can say, I'm going to, um, uh, make a hundred thousand dollars this year or, you know, whatever it is, but those goals are, um, ethereal unless you're connected to habits that affect your daily life. Mm -hmm. And if so, so to me, um, if you don't go granular, um, you don't actually achieve any level of greatness. Mm -hmm. And you have to ask, what are the things I have to change every day? Mm -hmm. And those are things that are harder to change because they're boring, mm -hmm. right? You know, and I want to change something once that changes everything <laughs> mm -hmm. rather than, than make choices every single day that that mean make the changes i want okay yeah what would be one have you ever had like a, a goal or a resolution or a change that you want to make in your life and and you thought through like the the goal the steps to get there no no nope. no no how my brain works no how does your brain work it's a super my brain's like a super addictive brain so if like i do things it's out of addiction or out of like a uh, obsession or compulsion you know, you talked about the the word of the year. You said yours was audacity, and then and then I haven't really said mine. I don't really have one because I also just don't. I like it. It's limiting. Like my brain's manic. Like it doesn't work. I have a thousand words and no words. You know, and so like with that, there's like a massive danger, right? Like I think it takes like a highly disciplined person to go. This is my word, and you are that person. You really are that person. You're both. You're both massively creative and then highly disciplined. So it's like you can you can hone in the big creative you know, storms and then go like, I'm going to create Aquafina. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you, you really can, I don't like Aquafina, like essential water or something. Like you, you create, you're able to like hone it in. I think mine's a different, it's a different, you know, it's a different way of doing things. So, so like figuring, figuring out how to, to process discipline and to achieve discipline, like, you know, like for 2022 feels just as weird as 2020. But then, you know, we were talking about like, it's, it's, it's dangerous in the city. And we're, you know, we were talking about like, I moved into a new place and I was mm -hmm. like, you know, like we're having this conversation. Like, I don't know if I feel safe in my house. Mm -hmm. I don't feel safe in my house, mm -hmm. but I don't know if I felt safe in LA like ever. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you, how do you, the things that like the, I've been comparing, right? Because you're like, I live in a, I live in a highly first world country, <laughs> mm -hmm. very first world, right? you know? And so there's a lot of benefits. There's a lot of luxuries. There's, there's so much good that, that is, uh, that I'm surrounded by, you know, I get to do things like snowboard or ski. I get mm -hmm. to do things like, you know, I have a car, like that's a luxury. I lived in New York and no one has cars, you know, <laughs> and like they're like, I, I have, I have my own place. Like I, that's a, it's a huge luxury. But then, you know, you're filled inside of an environment that, that so much of, of your mindset is determined by, right? And so how do you have a mindset that uh, isn't uh, impressionable or isn't uh, affected by the environment that you're in, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. right? Because like, we were talking about this, like someone in the, in the kitchen yesterday said, I miss Venice. And I was like, I miss Venice every day. Because you used to lead a campus in Venice Beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now I don't pass her at all, you know, like, and so it's, it is like a life is different two years later. And how do you roll with the, the changes of, of the, of the two years. Right. And now it's starting to lock in like those two years are now it's probably that's, that's gone, mm -hmm. you know, it's gone. It's not coming back. So like, how do you, how do you, how do you, uh, dig out a new passion and purpose inside of a new world?
if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I wonder, and even what you're reflecting, I wonder if that's what's affecting a lot of people that they felt like I was making progress, I was doing something meaningful, yeah. I was doing something that mattered, now it's gone. And I don't know yeah. if I have the emotional energy to start all over again. No, I've started multiple things. We started doing more pagan stuff and mm. more of this battle ready stuff and, and mm. everything that we've started has grown sure. and has built. Um, but, but something's it, still lost. Something's still lost. Yeah. So like, how do you not be deep? How do you not be deeply affected by the loss and not even the loss of like, how do you not like, I look back and I was like, okay, I think we become committed to our trajectory. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's hard to commit to the trajectory and the trajectory to change. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I think that, I don't know if this is a, a dysfunction or this is a, um, a talent or a skill that I have, Yeah. but, um, I just move on fast. Yeah. You're highly adaptable, but yeah. I've seen you in moments where you really haven't, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about those moments, not the moments where you're, you're highly adapted. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I'm highly like adaptive. When you lost the company, you were depressed for 10 years, probably. No, I wasn't depressed for 10 years. Three? No. You took on like the multi, like million dollar debts. Yeah, it it took me five years to get out of that. No, but but yeah, five years to probably get off the couch. (laughs) (laughs) No, I had to get off the couch to get out of that. No, but yeah, yeah, but but I'm saying like. Because remember, you you, you were in New York. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, I was in New York, but but when I came back, you were still still depressed. No, I, 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 without, no, what I would say is what I did, I did. When let's say when I lost the company and I watched millions of dollars disappear and yeah, the future yeah. disappear. Yeah. And um, first of all, I decided not to attack the people who did it. Rather, I didn't want to spend my future fighting the past. Right, right. And um, so I went ahead and just gave up everything so that I could go ahead and, and believe I could create a new future. Yeah. And I think sometimes people hold on to the past or hold on to losses and um because that what company, life could have looked like yeah because the company wasn't a failure the company was a huge success and i lost something that was hugely successful yeah so how, That's did, you harder. Man- how did you manage that and i and i don't yeah. i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to project depression mm-hmm. or like sadness on you but like you know, maybe it's just because I know the inside. You're like, yeah. that's something that still was like, ah. No, we, no. We'd bring was, it up rarely, but yeah. we would bring it up and be like, yeah, ah, no. frustrated. But I want to be clear. I was depressed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I um, I lost probably 25 pounds in 30 days. Um, I weighed 169 pounds uh, at the end of that month after I lost the company. I couldn't eat. And when I tried to eat, I couldn't hold the food down. So it had a emotional, psychological, spiritual, and physical effect on my life. So did that, do you feel like that situation that happened 10 years ago helped you a decade later in this situation? Because I don't feel like you were that affected by the change. No, like we were flying around the world before <laughs> yeah. and you're like, eh, I, get, I have two years of being in LA. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and what's ironic is I wasn't <laughs> devastated by the loss as much as I was devastated by the betrayal. And right. what we don't realize a lot of times, it's it's the emotional weight that actually destroys you more than um, the economic or um, weight of it, you know. And um, and so once I realized, okay, you can't do anything about that, just let that go. I, I remember literally going back uh, to Mosaic because I hadn't been involved in quite a few years really that much, and I and I said, hey, where do you guys need help? And I at first took over. Um, the creative team and started creating new things in the church and then um, and just began applying myself to regrowing the church yeah and uh, and mosaic really grew like crazy yeah and then I started Hollywood out of that so out of the loss of 
of my company. I ended up starting the Hollywood campus. Yeah. And so what I did is I gave myself completely to creating something new. Do you feel like that was therapeutic for you? Uh, I think it was essential. I don't even think it was therapeutic. It was definitely healing. So then how do we, how do we as like, cause it's a struggle, right? Like mm-hmm. we lost, how many employees did we lose during COVID? Cause we didn't fire anyone. No, but we did lose a lot. But in 2008, I had 42 people on my staff and I went down to nine. And that was before you started the company. Oh, before the company. Yeah. yeah. So I had to deal with that during um, the recession. We had a year's writer strike. Uh, we yeah, watched, LA emptied out. Yeah. It was insane. We watched 25% of our uh, community here at Mosaic leave LA. And yeah. so in, within a month, our entire budget dropped 25%. Yeah, so it was a really brutal time. But it was actually out of that recession of 2008 that I started the company because I thought I need to start businesses to help employ my friends and people that I care about yeah. and provide jobs. And, yeah, yeah. and so, I'd, so I became more generative in a time that was um, a high crisis time. And I look at where we're in now. And, and so we did lose people during this time. A lot of people just decided they, it was time for them to move across the country or mo- yeah. move to another country or, yeah. uh, in fact, two of them left to other countries, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and you can't really control that, but you are, you're losing people you've invested in, you're losing people you care about, uh, you're losing people who are productive because um, no matter how good the next person in is, it takes time for them to become as productive as the person who left usually. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, um, so how are, you all, how are you continually able to regenerate yourself or your mentality or your positive outlook. Cause I think that's something that's, that's, that is like starting a new year, getting into a new rhythm um, or finding your old. Cause like this, I think the reality for most people is that they, they had a rhythm. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the issue for a lot of people is like two years ago, they were either in a rhythm or they were searching for rhythm within this contract of, of society. Right. Yeah. The, and the way now, the world was the way the world yeah. worked, the way the world was and the way that the world operated around yeah. them and the way that they operate inside of the world. How do you, for people who are looking for that like rhythm and for people who are helping trying to create that rhythm for other people because mm-hmm. you know we're both starting companies and working with organizations that mm-hmm. that have people that teaming that you know we have new team mm-hmm. like one thing we lost a, a, an awesome awesome human being in like the best way like she moved to another country and right. she's pursuing more other dreams that's like the best thing yeah i i fully believe like i fully believe if you're going to leave our team leave with us on your side so yeah. we can help forge you. And leave it to something bigger for your life. Yes. Well, yeah. I don't think you'll find anything bigger than this. That's true. But but I but go do but go shoot for something big. Yeah. You know, and do something big. Because yeah. I, you know, like the, the conversation I had with that person was, you know, they were like, I, I'm so grateful, I don't want to leave. I'm like, no, just now go be super successful and give your time now. Mm-hmm. You know? And take all the things that you learned. But like, how do you regenerate that rhythm for people? Or how do you re- regenerate that rhythm for yourself? Yeah. I think first of all, if you were unhappy in the previous world, you're going to take that unhappiness with you to the next one. Yeah. It's it's going to be, so you, what happens is crisis reinforces your perspective. Okay. So if you have a negative view of the world, the crisis reinforces your negative view. If you if you feel like you don't have any purpose, the crisis reinforces that you don't have any purpose. Right. Like if you feel like God's against you, the crisis reinforces that God's against you. Right. If, um, if you actually have a positive perspective that um, there's always a future and a hope, if you have a positive perspective that God is for you, if you have a positive perspective that um, you can overcome any crisis, yeah. then the crisis reinforces your perspective. Yeah. 
you go, oh, uh, here we are in the middle of this crisis. And, but it's also, also a mindset saying, I'm not in a crisis because God's punishing me. I'm in a crisis and, and God's with me. And so we're going to see this thing through. And so for some reason, I never, ironically, I think that um, like if you're in a crisis and, and you start feeling really, let's say, depressed or feeling really discouraged, you start moving toward a, like a, a negative view of yourself. I'm just saying you as a person, I'm saying anyone. Right. And you start feeling like, what's wrong with me? Why can't my life work? Why won't God help me? Whatever the, your narrative is. Mm. And so the crisis reinforces the internal struggle you already have. Mm. And so my internal narrative is, um, I know God's on my side. Mm. I know I can go through anything. I know I can get through on the other side. I know the future is waiting to be created. So the crisis for me just creates a different board in which I'm playing the game, you know, mm -hmm. it's just, it's just the, the pieces are changing. Um, and in some ways it even makes it more exciting because I go, wow, the challenge is bigger. So the outcome's going to be bigger. And it doesn't mean you can't get discouraged. It doesn't mean there are moments you don't feel like you've lost your breath, but your internal narrative stays the same. And you go, I, I've been through worse and I can get through this. Okay. You know, and, and that's what I would encourage people to realize is that whatever internal narrative is settling in right now, that's probably the one you had before, it's just being reinforced. And so crisis reinforces your perspective. So what you have to do is you can't change the crisis, you have no control over it. You have to change your perspective. That's what you have control over. So do you feel like the millions of people who moved cities, do you think it was their attempt at trying to change the crisis? Yes, I think it's, that's a great question. And I'm gonna, I think it's two parts. I think it's either, it's their attempt to change the crisis, like get out of the crisis, allies the crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's their attempt to change themselves. And they think by moving, they're going to be a different person. Hmm. And, but, but usually what happens is that you superimpose your own personal struggle on wherever you live. And so people are like, life sucks, it doesn't work. I hate LA, LA doesn't work. So yeah. then you move to Chicago, and I'm telling you, within a year, you're going to be going, Chicago sucks. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, work. Yeah. you know. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where you move because you're taking the crisis with you. Yeah. And that's the thing I would say to people. You can migrate all you want, and but the one thing you can't migrate away from is who you are unless you go through a process of changing who you are. But then there's certain people who don't work in certain systems. That's true. Like, I know I don't work in LA as much as I do in other cities. Mm -hmm. Like, functionally, like, I'm more like-minded in other cities than I am. You know this. You're, yeah. You fit better in certain cultures than you do in this culture. Yeah. Well, I, so feel, I, feel, you, I fit better here than I did in Dallas. For sure. You fit yeah. for, and, yeah. and better in Dallas than you did in North Carolina. And better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've definitely been in environments where I just didn't fit. And, right. And so, I worked 10 times harder and got one-tenth of the result. Right. So then how do you know if it's you or if it's the environment? Can well, it be both? It can be both. And I do think that... Is it always you? <laughs> no. I, I, I like to always work from it's always me. Okay. Because that allows me to make any place I live work. Okay. But I do think there's a spectrum. I can make any place work. Right. But not every place works as well for me. Okay. And I cannot explain it. When I left Dallas and came to LA, it was as if I left Mars and came to Earth and the oxygen finally worked. Okay. And um, I, I learned how to breathe in Dallas, hmm. but I was never uh, in, in sync or in rhythm with the culture the way that I was when I came to LA. But 
But honestly, when I went to Tokyo and went to Paris and even went to New York, there are places where I instantly had more uh, resonance. Okay. Like I instantly worked in Tokyo, instantly worked in Paris. And there are places where I just went, wow, I just, I sink in here. And I struggled with whether I should move there. The only yeah. reason I stayed in LA was one, a sense of calling. I felt like God called me to the city. Mm-hmm. And the second reason is I believed it was the epicenter of the future. Mm-hmm. If I could affect LA, I could have a disproportionate effect on the world. I didn't stay here because it fit me best. There mm-hmm. are other places I think actually fit me better. Okay. And I stayed here because I thought this is where I could have the greatest impact and make the greatest contribution. Okay. So when, when, if it's, when do you know it's the right time to go? That's How do you know question. when the right time to go Again, is? Again, you're asking really good questions today that I think probably all of our listeners are leaning in. Well, no, because like, <laughs> like, like, uh, okay, so I'm going to use yeah. Nicole Lewis because mm-hmm. I think well, she's gone now, so she can't, she can't say if but she's listening she can't to say, the podcast. She listens to her friends are listening. <laughs> but like the way that conversation happened for me was like perfect. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people leave staff, it happens. But she, I thought, left in such a great way because mm-hmm. it was like, hey, well, she first tried to blame me. She said, <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> but she said it in like the sweetest Nicole Lewis way. Uh, you know, she said, you know, you said something to me a year ago during COVID. And I was like, where were we? I mean, we were like doing something downtown. And she mm-hmm. was like, you told me, you know, why do you still work for me? <laughs> <laughs> you should be going off and like shooting big campaigns somewhere like in mm-hmm. the world and then coming back and teaching us the things you learned. And I was like, dang it, I'm never saying that to another person ever again. <laughs> but I do think that like a part of our role is to call the best out of people. And yes. Even when the best isn't necessarily with us, the best for that person is necessarily with us. Yeah. It's it's with other people, mm-hmm. but still like positively affects us, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and for me, it was, I'm not going to call her to not go travel the world and do what God's put on her heart because I feel like the table she was sitting at when God put it on her plate was our table. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like for me, I wrestle with that. Like, okay, if God speaks to someone when they're in our proximity, I got to like believe in that almost yeah. more yeah. than when they're, when people say like God spoke to me, I should come work for you. I'm like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Cause I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. But when she's like sitting with us doing life with us and she goes, okay, I believe God said this to me. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, I think it's what I've been saying to you too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know? So yeah. how do you know? Cause like for her in her situation, I would say that like, she's, she's taking us a leap. Yeah. I'm sure there's a million things that are going to go wrong and go right. And like, I believe the best for her. But, but, I, but how do you know when the right time for someone to go is? Well, here's the hard truth. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. You just have to go. Yeah. And uh, you, you don't know, like in the sense, in the sense that you know that two plus two equals four. Mm-hmm. You can have in a gut intuition. I think some of it is when it consumes you, when you're thinking about the other thing all the time. All the time. And so you're almost not, you're really not present in where you're at. You're, you're, you've already left. Mm-hmm. And so I guess what I would say is, you know when you've already left, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but your body hasn't followed your right. dreams. Mm-hmm. Your body hasn't followed where your imagination is going. Your body hasn't followed where your longing, desires, and passions are. Right. And so why don't you just send your body to where you've already gone? Right. You, you know, yeah. and because uh, you've already left. I think that's one significant issue. And sometimes uh, there are like, 
critical opportunities. Like I think with the cold, there was an opportunity to go to, to London for six months. Yeah, it was awesome. And, and so when you look at those opportunities, they don't often come every moment in your life. And when they come and that matches your dream, matches, matches your passions, you have to walk through that door. And, um, and I, I, just, I, I think you'll, you'll live with regret when those doors open so clearly right. and you don't walk through them. Right. And so that's, I, I would definitely say that along the way. And, um, and so I, I, so I guess if we're doing an A, B, C, D, you know when you've already left. Yeah. And um, you, you know when you're not bringing your best to where you're at. Right. And, uh, and you know when, uh, certainly when an, an opportunity opens that matches what you've been praying for. I think sometimes we, we pray, and then when the answer comes, we go, that can't be God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, if, if an answer to prayer comes, and you go, yeah, but I didn't really pray about it. I just wanted it. Well, I want you to realize that God's listening to your desires. He's yeah. listening to your heart. Yeah. Prayer doesn't have to be a formal activity. It's supposed to be a conversation with God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're in your house by yourself going, God, I really wish this would happen, God actually is listening. Mm-hmm. You know, even when you don't say God, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. he is listening. And, um, and, and I would just say get counsel from your friends and uh, people in your lives. And I tend to tell people don't move from something to nothing. Move right. from something to something. Right. And uh, your future needs to have as much intention as your present. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when people just quit and go, I'm just going to go figure it out, that's an unwise mm-hmm. uh, decision. Mm-hmm. You, you need to uh, take time while you're doing something to begin to lay out, a, you know, some kind of plan of where, what you're going to go do, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And then move to that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, years ago, your mom said to me, because we had this couple move to, I think it was to France and she just loved them and they were great people. And she goes, why? And they, they left because I kept casting vision for different cities in the world. And she goes, why did you have to cast vision and tell people, you know, to follow their dreams and to follow their passions? And, and I said, well, it would be really selfish for me to believe I should live like that and then to not call people to live that way themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then also it's like seasonal. Um, you may be called to, you know, Paris in the season, um, but it doesn't mean that one day you're not going to be called to, you know, Milan or something like it. And I think sometimes we try to act like um, our calling or intention is permanent. Singular and forever. Yeah, and it's not, you know. And mine has But you changed. felt like yours was. Um, I, you know, I felt like. Yes or no? Uh, yes, I did. Because yeah. that, I'm that way in every spot I'm standing. You know, Not so much now as you used to be. No, I think, well, but when I came here, I came here because I believe my calling was to reach the 12% of innovators, mm-hmm. you know, creators, pioneers, that those innovators and early adopters. And I felt like they had a high concentration here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that reality is true as much anymore for LA. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the way the world has changed, innovators and entrepreneurs and early adopters are in major cities across the world, and they're more of a social network than they are a geographic uh, mm-hmm. concentration. Mm-hmm. And so I've tried to adjust my own understanding of my calling based on how the world has changed, mm-hmm. which it, it has changed dramatically. And so I feel as committed to investing in entrepreneurs in London or New York or, or wherever it may be, Buenos Aires or Sydney, as I do to the everyday resident in L.A., mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Because, yeah, my, my, I feel like my calling is a very focused calling on a particular kind of person. Yeah. Not necessarily a particular kind of place. Do you feel like 
you understood that in the beginning or do you feel like that's been like revelation and revealed and like like peeled away over time in your relationship and walk with God? Yeah, I feel like the idea that my calling was for early adopters and innovators came... Um, when you read the words early adopters and innovators and you were like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, that was like 30 <laughs> years ago. Oh, and so it was immediate. Yeah, it, well, it wasn't immediate because uh, I've been alive for <laughs> more than 30 years. But you didn't have the calling when you were five. You had the calling when you were 30. Yeah, so from 20 to 32... I didn't know what my calling was. Right. I just did whatever was in front of me, you know. And uh, so my calling was, you know, whatever whatever was in front of me. I think somewhere around 33, it became more clear to me. Yeah. And I went, oh, this is who I am. This is who I'm supposed to reach. Mm -hmm. and, and then out of that, I started studying the world and I went, oh, LA is the concentration. It's the future. Uh, it's the capital of the future. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I knew, okay, I have to go there. So I was probably... Yeah. I mean, when Kim and I were married at 25, I already knew I was going to LA. Okay. And, but when I was 32, I understood why. Okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, Is there like a moment where you like, because early adopters and innovators probably wasn't something they were talking about when you were 25, maybe somewhere in the world, but like definitely wasn't easy. Like, was it accessible It wasn't everyday to language. You? <laughs> no, no. And, 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 and you're getting your master's degree. So like, yeah. Where, where, when did you, when did you come across that information where you were like, okay, this is actually where I want to go? Okay, my friend Eric Bryant just sent me a VCR. No, of um, that I bought a VHS, for VHS, and and Austin, I wanted to know if we could translate it into a different medium. Yeah, for uh, sure. I paid almost a thousand dollars for it in my twenties. Paid a thousand dollars for what? For this video. No. Yes. And it was, um, and that- Do you have it? I have it at home. I just got it yesterday. Oh I was going to tell you. Okay, Austin, you're driving to his house after this. It's uh, by um, a guy who was a third grade teacher who became a futurist. He was the first futurist I ever encountered. Wow. And he's when I knew I was going to, that I was a futurist. Wow. His name is Joel Barker. And he wrote a, uh, he actually created a video called The Business of Paradigms. And he introduced me to the concept of paradigms. And Wait, let's write his name down again. Joel is, is Barker. Joel Barker. And I was going to have our whole staff watch. I've been looking for this video oh, for Google. 20 years. This guy? Yep. Yeah. That yeah. guy? Hey, this was a long the, time ago. No, I mean, it's cool. This is, I mean, this is old. Yeah, no, I'm talking. It's so cool. I'm 1993. Yeah. I mean, that's that's when I got the video, 1993. I told you I was 33 years old wow. or so. At that time, I was almost 30, 34, 35. And his first, his first cover is kind of sick. Look at that. Look how sci-fi that is. That's pretty cool. Discovering so, the future. Dang, I'm ordering this on Amazon. So I've got the video, so you don't have to buy it. But you had to become like a consultant in his thing to buy the video kind of thing. You're like, you had, so you there had- multi-layered marketing. And, oh my gosh. And, and uh, subscription-based no, uh, learning back, masterclasses back when then. When I watched the Business of Paradigms, that's why I moved to LA. I thought I was going to create concept videos like that. And that would be my career. That I wasn't coming to be a pastor. I was coming to create the future of the business of paradigms in video teaching for the world. And uh, I just got um, pulled off track when I ended up <laughs> and, uh, uh, creating Mosaic. Yeah. Um, but when I watched the business of paradigms, and I think the first time I ever, I know that I've seen the word paradigm was in a National Geographic article about um, Harlem. And it talked about the social paradigm of Harlem changing. This was in the 60s. Interesting. So the word paradigm was in the world of sociology 
and uh, and sciences before Joel Barker took it into the world of business. Ordered. And what'd you order? I ordered the last one on Amazon. How much is it? Six bucks. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't a thousand dollars I paid for the video. No, but you got the, You probably got the whole. Thing. I got the video. Yeah, yeah. You, the, know? The, the you can class. still buy the video that you have online for three hundred dollars right now. He's still selling it. He's oh still my selling gosh. it at a, a nineteen eighty nine video for three hundred dollars. Yeah, nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, that, and I think eighty nine was when I watched the video. I mean, I was like, I was an early adopter in the whole in that whole world. So he must have done the video first and then done the book. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, okay. I, I saw the video first. And and um, I'm almost positive Joel Barker is an ENTP, uh, like I am on the Myers-Briggs. Okay. And, um, and, I was, and I went, oh, this is me. This is who I am. This is the way I see the world. And in fact, the consultant that introduced me to the video, she also did the Myers-Briggs, put it on the board with our whole team. I was working for a denomination at the time. And everyone on the entire team was on the top left of the spectrum. I was the only one on the far right of the spectrum. Yeah, uh, entrepreneur, innovator, discover, okay. creator. Okay. And in the meeting, she said, I don't know what you're doing here in front of my boss and everyone. And the next day, my boss fired me. And um, the next day- That would have been such a lawsuit these days. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, he did it in a really gracious way. He said, Erwin, uh, um, <laughs> you are uh, not who we thought you were when we hired you. <laughs> Meaning they thought you were a white guy and you were a Latino. <laughs> yeah, that was one thing too. <laughs> and uh, they did cut my salary when they realized I was a Latino who worked for less before. Mm. And, uh, oh, there's so many reasons that, you know, uh, working briefly in the Sundabs convention was a, uh, a um, really- Absolute nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, and, and but harder than them being extremely racist, what was harder is that they were extremely rigid and incapable of seeing the future. And, uh, and so the consultant called me up and said, you don't belong here. You need to go. And she introduced me to the people who uh, were here in LA mm -hmm. and said, you need to talk to these people. They're, they at least think more like you. Mm -hmm. And that's the, Joel Barker's business paradigm was the beginning of me moving to Los Angeles. That's incredible. That's so cool. And, and so as we're talking about this, it's, uh, I don't even remember how we actually got to this, but. I don't know, but I don't care. I like this more than what we were talking about before, so. Uh, but we'll start here, <laughs> but it really is like when you, but what helped me with a paradigm is that it, I felt like somebody, uh, you know, with the, the first matrix was so amazing. I don't even want to necessarily talk about the last one, but, or the last, the last three. Yeah. But the thing about the matrix that was so helpful was this a concept that there's a reality behind the reality. And what, what happened with me when I listened to Joel Barker and the business paradigms is I realized Ah, there's a reality behind the reality. See, his concept existed before the matrix. Mm -hmm. And 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 I realized what I can, if I can get behind my reality, I can see what's informing all my internal mental structures. Mm -hmm. And if I can see those structures, I can change those structures. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that's what changed me from being an outsider trying to fit in mm -hmm. to being an outsider creating a new reality. Mm -hmm. Because before that, I thought I had to work inside of the system and just always be different. And what shifted in me was there are, there, there are aliens on this planet who are like me and they're trapped. And, if, and I can be Neo to them. 
Mm-hmm. I can go and if I create new language and if I can create a new community, if I can create a new culture, and if I can even explain the scriptures in a new way and help people see Jesus in a new way, I'm going to find all the Neos in the world. Mm. And that became my mission. And so when I moved to LA, and that's one of the things talking with Kim, because you know, your mom is more concrete. Mm-hmm. And she's like, didn't God call you to LA for life? And I said, no, God called me to the innovators for life. And LA was the place where I had to go and it was it was the hard drive mm-hmm. where you know you you begin to unlock the matrix but like the future has changed and the reason we do battle ready i think is not just to have conversations about everyday stuff going on in the world but it's to it's to create a frequency where we find all the pioneers all the innovators all the creators all the discoverers all the potential neos in the world who know they're trapped inside of a matrix and can get behind um, the paradigm and this is a lot of the conversation that I think we should be having this year. Like, I love when you go back to origin story stuff. And mm. I, that's why I pick away at the little things that I do know privately. And you, <laughs> and I can feel you're like, ah. Yeah. Because, because you know, you come from a different generation where you don't complain and you don't cry and you don't, not, <laughs> not, not, like, not in a bad way. You, you, are, you are pretty in touch with your emotions. But I, I, mean, I, I mean this in that, like, I think it's so important for people to understand the origin story of where you came from, of where this thought process came from. Mm-hmm. That This idea of 52 hertz, that lonely whale that now mm-hmm. is like very big. Like there's a whole 52 whale um, documentary like society now. and yeah. foundation and, yeah. and documentary. And there's the conservatory, like, there's mm-hmm. people who are, yeah. and I, and you talked a lot about that in like the faith space of like, there's people who, who will only hear a different frequency. Yeah. So when you talk about Neo waking up, like I found it really interesting because in this last Matrix, which was hot garbage, but it was, but it was, but I'll say this, Austin, because we talk about movies all the time. I, I enjoyed it because it like we were, we watched it. You had COVID sure. and I was like, well, I'm going to hang out with you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to not hang out. But I think I only didn't hang out with you for two days. We watched it together and then we, but we, we both, it was long and we both kind of were falling asleep. So I like, I went and finished it at home and you mm-hmm. watched it by yourself. And I really actually enjoyed the idea of it all that like now he's, re- he has been reinserted and in back into the matrix and he's taking the blue pill every day. The mm-hmm. one that just kind of regenerates the same figment of his imagination or his alternate reality mm-hmm. um, or synthetic reality. And I think, you know, there's often times where I wonder, is it time to switch from the red pill to the blue pill? You know, can I, can I go back? <laughs> oh, they, you, you want the pill to put you to sleep? No. Well, no. So he took the red pill. Right. Right. With Morpheus. Right. Right. But it, then in the newest movie, uh, the prescription drug he takes in the mirror every day yeah. is a prescription of blue pills. Right. The blue pill. That just keeps him back into like right. the, re, the, 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 the fake reality. But do you want to take the, the red pill or do you want to take the blue pill? I think I've taken the red pill and sometimes I want to go back. That's what I thought you meant. In that. That's what I. That's what I meant. <laughs> I was trying to clarify. <laughs> like, and I, and I thought it was such an interesting thing because I think Don't twenty years it, ago. Aaron. What? Don't do it. No, because I think when did the Matrix first come out? Was it twenty or thirty years ago? Twenty years ago. Nineteen ninety nine. Thirty. No, I think twenty. Twenty one. Twenty two. It was. It was. It was like it was up there with Apple's first commercial of breaking the status yeah. quo, destroying the system. Yeah. Right. It was that like taking the red. The red. The red pill was this kind of uh, resurgence of revolutionaries coming into modern society. And something's happened, you know, and I think it's the monetary or like the, the, the economic 
the the dollar signs placed on innovation that ends up destroying creativity. Because mm-hmm. you look at Apple, and Apple's obviously it's a monolith, but it's not nearly as creative as it used to be. Like I don't even want to walk into the new store at the Grove because it feels like a Christopher Nolan like ripoff, and I like it feels like I'm I'm living inside of what someone else's dream. Someone else's projection of Steve Jobs' reality or dream. Does that make sense? It's beautiful. It's beautiful and it's innovative (laughs) and it's the progression. But I'm like, Steve Jobs, would he have ever wanted to be inside of the freaking Grove? That's a good question. Right? But But maybe it's his like red pill inside of the blue pill. I don't like. I'm going to. Do you get where I'm going with this or no? Yeah, but I think as a. My experience of the first Matrix. Uh, do you, did you find the year on that? 1999, right? 1999. So 22 years ago? 22. 20, no, 23 years ago now. Yeah. And I mean, I was there, you know, and my feeling of the first Matrix was the writers were fighting for us to shake off the the slumber of the delusions of culture to fight for our freedom, to fight for our ability to see what's real. Yeah. And my feeling with this movie was uh, the conclusion I did finish it was, oh, you've, you've surrendered to a belief that you'll never know who you are. That's the way I felt at the end, that the writers didn't know who they were and they sur- they've surrendered to belief that, you, that they will never really know who they are. That's really interesting. Because that, that, that's the way the story played out for me in the end. And I thought, and for, can and, I celebrate this? And for me, the thing that I really honed in on was that even when you take the red pill, everything in the world is pulling you back to, to giving you the blue pill every day. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like the rhythm, the, the nine to five, the consistency, the stability, the car, the house, the children, the white picket fence, right. the American dream is a blue pill. Right? Right. Like socialist America now is like literally giving blue pills out in the mail. <laughs> like I, I got my mailbox robbed I, and I got to actually check. To they, t- they took your mailbox? No, they ripped it open with a screwdriver. I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. And, and, um, and I'm pro- they were probably looking for like an escrow check. Or, oh, wow. And I got actually got to go check now to see because I wonder if it got mm-hmm. stolen. Um, but like I, like everything in this world is pulling you back to to the mundane and to the the, yeah. me, the mediocre kind of average reality, I think. So how do we, for me, what it felt like is they were trying to show again that it's so easily for you to get pulled back into the system in yeah. which you broke free of. Yeah. And that the only thing that can break you free and the thing they fear the most is love. I thought that was, I thought the that's, whole concept that, that's of, beautiful. of like Neo and Trinity coming together, yeah. that they were more powerful together was so powerful. Yeah. You know, yeah. No, I thought I thought that I didn't was even pick up on identity crisis, but that makes sense if you look at the director. But no, I, I'm just telling you how I was responding yeah. to it uh, emotionally and psychologically. Going, um, is this a surrendering of identity of knowing who I'll ever be? Well, if, I mean, if you, you, know, I mean, you, I mean and, and it, it's very parallel to the director's story, right? Because he was okay. the it was the Wachowski brothers, and now and then okay. it became they both went through sex changes or transitioned. Well, that would and certainly affect the the narrative, right? But you even look you at know? the transition of power from Neo yeah. being the one to then she is the one, right? You know, it was the like shift. it was the shift, and 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 I'm not even addressing that, but I thought the, the movie had some beautiful, interesting ideas. Yeah, no, and I mean, 
I've always been a huge Matrix fan. And, and although I, I heard last night that they asked uh, Keanu Reeves why he did it. And he said he wasn't going to do it. He said it doesn't make any sense because Neo's dead. Yeah. And then he said, then they told me how much they're going to pay me. <laughs> and, uh, is that the blue pill? Yeah. Except, uh, <laughs> yeah. except that I feel like Keanu Reeves is one of the few people that always takes the red pill. Oh, and I also heard he gave 70% of the money away. Well, I mean, and, but there were stories uh, of him. pretty amazing. That were like, I think in the second and third films, he negotiated his point system, like his kickback mm -hmm. to go to the, the VFX teams. Yeah. I think like he, like a lot of his profits, or maybe maybe he only took the back end and he gave his initial salary to the second and third films to the VFX. He's like, you guys made the movie, I didn't. And he yeah. bought them all motorcycles, I think. Like he's he's yeah. always been a generous guy. Yeah, living in LA. But the yes, one, that is the blue pill. The one person you only hear good things about is Keanu Reeves. Yeah. I mean, For sure. you, you know, so I'm just joking about is taking the money, the blue film. <laughs> Look, I would take the money and make the movie. I'm For just saying sure. right away. For sure. Because, For sure. But that's interesting because that's another conversation you should have one day is, is money evil? Because we, we, we seem to have a society more and more that if you have wealth, you're the bad guy. And here, Keanu Reeves has an opportunity to make a lot of money yeah. on a, let's say, not great product. Right. You know, and yeah. but he can do a lot of good, yeah, with the money, yeah. And I and I think that that's actually the better conversation is: Are you doing all the good you can? Uh, because one of the things that really hit me this year, and I'm just going to say to front, is that um, there are people that I really feel passionate about helping, but I don't have enough money to help them the way they need help. And so I I, I actually woke up 2022 going, I need to figure out how to generate millions of dollars. Mm. and because I need to do a lot more good in the world before I mm -hmm. die. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that's not like, I guess that's not PC if you're a pastor to say that. Yeah. You know, and- That's why we built bad already. Yeah, it's like, I'm not talking about doing that, you know, through the church, uh, but I, I know I need to be more, uh, when I use, my word is audacity, and I'm going to be more audacious in my risk in creating wealth so that I can do a lot more good in the world because I don't want to just call people to do good. I want to do good. And I have friends who are incredibly wealthy and you know they're generous and, and a lot of times they give money because they're my friends and so mm -hmm. they are moved by the things I'm moved by. But frankly, I would much rather create wealth and give it away than to ask my friends who create wealth to give it away. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and or at least doing it together is much more fun the funny thing about you though well i'm gonna push back a little bit because i think you said you're not gonna make it through the church what you mean by that is the church isn't going to give you millions of dollars yes that's right what i believe is that the church is the greatest like in los angeles and i think in a lot of major cities and mm -hmm. across the world membership clubs is something that's like talked about <laughs> right like you know here we have yeah. you know you have so houses that were started mm -hmm. in london but in but it comes from the culture in london that like every like gentleman in the night yeah. in the 1800s were a part of like a social club yeah whether you were like in the sciences or in the maths or in like mm -hmm. law or accounting you you literally like there's a row in soho that mm -hmm. has like all of these old brownstone i guess in new york they call brownstone i don't know what they're called then like like townhouse social mm -hmm. clubs for like the church is 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 so much more than that but if you were to like just bring it down to like a human construct yeah it is a social club for the greatest connection that you can have both with man and God, right? And yes. so like in the healthiest version, it is a place where we can mobilize the future because yeah. you're building like great conversations. Your friends give money to Mosaic because 
you tell them, don't give me money, give Mosaic money. <laughs> and so, you know, like when people say, the, people will never know, and I say this for a lot of pastors, I know a lot of pastors abuse it too, but like, um, I, I don't think that's, I don't think the, the abuse is actually the, 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 the norm. The norm. Yeah, it's not. I think it's just what we hear about. Yeah. You know? And and there was a thing about, uh, I don't really want to go into it too much, but there was like a whole thing that was on, I don't even know if it was on Instagram, talking about like how a plumber found like 800 checks at, at Lakewood in the bathroom. Oh yeah. Joel he was fixing a toilet and they found like all these checks. I don't know, whatever. It's not on Instagram. I don't even know if it's real. Was it but, like a half a million dollars or something like that? It was a ton of money, but I remember yeah. like like eight years ago, they were like, there was like a scandal of all these missing checks. And I was like, what are you talking about? Someone stole it, put it in the freaking wall. <laughs> and then they found it. Like it wasn't yeah. Joel Osteen. It was just like <laughs> humans make, there are things, bad things happen when, when yeah. humans are involved, right? There's bad moments. But what I do think is that, uh, I do know that, the, that I believe you. When you say that stuff, you're like, man, that God's going to bring people into your network that you're going to do great things with. And I, you know, and I, and I, and I, 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 I encourage more people to look at like when, when people talk about, you know, I do church with my, my, like I talk, I saw, I talked to someone in the ocean, we were surfing and they were like, this is my church. And I was like, you do church with the dolphins, dog. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you, you do, you do church with, I was like, no, that isn't church. I was like, yeah, I, I, you could have a church function in the ocean. That isn't, you know, that's a loophole. <laughs> but but the but I think the beautiful thing because you can do worship in your car you can do mm-hmm. you can read your Bible at home you can you know you can have a relationship with God in your own time church really is the culmination of your faith and then adding people with it yeah right yeah it's it's like I, I was saying the other day how when people say that you know they're doing church by themselves you need to realize that like water is H two O and church is like water. Right. You're, you're H or you're O, but you're not H2O. Right. It's when we come together with our H and our two and our O. So that, without the two, you're a hoe. <laughs> so you a hoe without church. <laughs> <laughs> My mind goes to ghetto things. I'm sorry. And uh, I'm going to say, don't cut that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it is but true, no, right? Yeah. It's like... Um, it, hydrogen and oxygen are designed in its singularity. to be something different yes. when they come together in the proper relationship. It's yes. H2O. Singular H2 oxygen. Yeah. yeah. And no. Yes. H O H singular oxygen. Yeah. Two hydrogen. Right. And um, and when they come together properly, they create something life-giving. I think that's the church is like, you know, uh, you may be, you may be an awesome H or you may be an awesome O, but you need other people to create this, um, elixir of life, which is the church. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Um, I think this this has actually been a really good conversation. It's a really good conversation. I guess to give context to the beginning half where I just didn't seem very interested in this conversation (laughs) (laughs) is that I, I struggle with uh, emotions up and down, right? Like being happy, being sad, depression, joyfulness. And the beginning of the year is oftentimes a great time, but also is a time where like, I can't control, I can control my emotions to a point, And then sometimes it feels like my emotions control me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the last five, six years has been making sure that that emotion isn't uh, destructive to other people. But then in that, sometimes it can be self-destructive. Mm-hmm. So having to have a handle on emotions inside of a new year that feels very um, 
duplicate of the last year. It makes me nervous, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and a lot of it is just going into the new year feeling overwhelmed with how much that we have to do. Yeah. Um, and so maybe the next couple episodes we can talk about that. But I felt like I should share that because I'm feeling, because it doesn't mean that it's all low, mm-hmm. right? You know, like I texted yeah. you last night. I was like, hey, the sadness lifted. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't that my entire day or night or the rest of my life is ruined. It, there's still like, it's like the stock market. Like I'm, you know, <laughs> like, it was like my crypto, like, you know, like it, there's good days and there's sometimes bad days. And it doesn't mean that within the good day, there's not bad moments or in the bad yeah. day, there's not good moments. Mm-hmm. But I think that would be a great next episode is talking about how to manage uh, the overwhelming feeling of, of your emotions. Yep. How to get your soul to Tesla. How to get your soul to Tesla. <laughs> yeah. To the moon. <laughs> You're only going up. You're only going yeah. up. Yeah. When everyone says you couldn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I appreciate you being honest about that. Yeah, yeah, but I also think this has ended up to be a really wonderful episode. It's, I think it has been a good ep- episode. And, you know, I um, I want to make some changes in my life. I'm um, 63 years old, and, and I realized that there are certain places where I waved, like, the white flag and just said, Maybe this is the age where I just give up on this or give up on this, you know, and yeah. and um, and I burnt the white flag and uh, and picked up the the you know the flag that carries the advance forward and said, nah, yeah. um, I'm going to redefine um, the '60s, but it takes more discipline, it takes more work, it takes more determination, more focus, and and so I would just say to everyone out there who just feels overwhelmed by. Um, the person you want to become or the future you want to create or yeah. the, you know, the habits you want to form. Yeah. And that um, becoming the best version of yourself is always hard work. Yeah. It never comes easy. It never comes by accident. Yeah. And it doesn't come by osmosis. It comes with will. You're right. And, uh, and so I just encourage um, everyone, don't be, uh, you know, don't be afraid of, projecting a better future mm. and just don't get caught in the emotion of the vision or the goal. Uh, get focused on the daily disciplines that will get you there. I love that. Um, can We're going to wrap this episode up, awesome. but I think we wanted to, maybe let's talk about the vision for the podcast this next year after this. Okay. Okay. So I just want to Hey, I just want to say thank you for listening to this episode of Battle Ready. I have no idea what we're going to title this thing. So by the time you hear this and the time <laughs> you've seen the title, we have made a decision. Um, but I always love origin story. And maybe we talk about paradigm. Or maybe we talk about red pill, blue pill. Yeah, maybe that should be the title of the episode. Take the blue pill. Take the blue <laughs> t- Take the red pill. No, I thought you said you want to take the blue pill. <laughs> Sometimes I want to take the blue pill. Blue pill sounds nice and warm and fuzzy. <laughs> Okay, hold on. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Battle Ready Podcast. We are so grateful to have you with us, whether you're watching or you're listening on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful. This is a new year, a new you, and a new podcast for us. So can you make sure to write a review on Apple Podcasts? Also, hit follow on Spotify and uh, thumbs up and leave a comment on YouTube. I'm going to be better about responding. I took some time off at the end of last year on this podcast, but (laughs) we're getting back into it. We're going to make sure that uh, we have more interaction this year with uh, the Instagram Battle Ready Podcast on Instagram. And we just made a TikTok on Battle Ready Podcast on TikTok. Wow. There is nothing on there yet, but there might be by the time you get there. So go hit follow. TikTok's the future, man. It's so annoying, but it's the future. And it sucks, but it's the future. TikTok.
TikTok. I, I told you. you. You did tell me, and I don't want to talk about it. Okay, <laughs> check it out. You can hit the links in the bio on Bad Ready Podcast, and you can check the links will be all in the bio on all of these uh, episode descriptions. All right, see you guys next week. Thank you.